This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are a big newsroom here at Chicago Public Media. We've got all of WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times under one roof. And we want to give you a better look into who these wonderful reporters are and what they're covering. Juan Pablo Ramirez Franco is our new climate, energy, and environment reporter. Welcome to Reset, Juan Pablo. I don't think we've actually met you. No, I don't think so, Sasha. Yeah. Nice to meet nice you. To Happy meet to be you. here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so first, I mean, you're excited. I, I remember seeing the tweets, you know, yeah, go out right. yeah. when you first got this position. How is it, how's it settling in so far? Lots of training, but it's it's settling <laughs> settling in good. Meeting lots of people, talking to lots of people. Busy. Busy. That's, busy is good in, in reporter world. Busy is good. So tell us, take us back. Tell us a bit about your work before you joined us here at WBEZ. Yeah, so before I got here, I was the environmental reporter at WNIJ in northern Illinois. So I covered everything from agriculture to wildlife to waterways and pollution. Wow. I was also part of two different reporting collaboratives, and they're, they're tongue twisters. So it was the Mississippi River Basin Ag and Water Desk and Harvest Public Media. Okay. So I kept busy, I guess. <laughs> For sure. And, and so I, I'm sensing a, a trend here. Have you always wanted to be a climate reporter or an environment reporter? Yeah, good question. I think yes. Because when I was like looking at the reporters or journalists and what they were doing, I'd be like, whoa, it looks to me like the environmental journalists are the ones who get to be out of the office the most. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Actually, that's a good point. It's true. You know, <laughs> they're always true. like talking to a scientist or like they're in a swamp or finding some like crazy frog and getting the sound. Uh, and that to me felt like the most exciting and maybe most vital work. And so here I am. Have you had to catch a frog and get sound? Oh my gosh, Sasha, not yet, but soon. <laughs> it's coming. Uh, something else I hear uh, climate journalists talk a lot about, though, is sort of the flip side of that, right? The, the doom and gloom of yeah. reporting on this specific beat. I know all too well what that feels like, right? It's hard sometimes to have these conversations around the environment and around sustainability without making it feel like everything's bad, everyone needs to worry, right? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, there's no good way around it. The truth of it is that sometimes things are sad and bad, but, you know, that's like not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I don't think despair is something to be afraid of or something to be like to run away from necessarily, um, which is easier said than done, right? Yeah. Um, but I say that because I think that fundamentally things like sadness and despair, they like educate something in us about who we are and maybe like what our priorities are in the world we want to live in. Yeah. And so the important part is to interrogate that sadness and be like, okay, well, like if that's happening here, well, what can we do about it? And who's working on it? And well, what they're working on, will that work here? Yeah. And so that's a little bit of what I want to bring to my reporting here at WBZ, too. Yeah, and, and I think at the, the base of all of that, too, is just simply sort of making folks aware, right? That, yeah, that is absolutely. our job is to make sure, regardless of what's happening and how ugly it is, we have to let people know. And sometimes what that means in reality for us on the journalist end is like, you know, repeated despair and exposure <laughs> to it. It can be tough. Absolutely. It can. It can. Yeah. And it just, but the, I think the second part of that is to, you know, give people solutions to be like, hey, there are people working on this and this is what they're doing and this is what you can know about the situation. Yeah. Well, what have been some of the things that you've worked on so far that you think maybe still have an impact on you today? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the story that like I always think about is the story I worked on about this rusty patch bumblebee. It's this federally endangered bumblebee. Um, and it was found in a very rare patch of prairie in northern Illinois. 
Now, the rub was that there was an airport that wanted to build a road over this very rare patch of prairie where there was a very rare bee. Um, this story just led to this and that and everything. And it was like 18 months, 18 months of coverage. Mm. Um, and they ultimately built a road. Um, but it, it really like left something in me where I, I started to think very seriously about the ways that wilderness in Illinois and maybe even like the Midwest generally are just disappearing and the incredible pace at which it's disappearing. Mm. Wow. That's, that's interesting stuff. So, well then keeping that in mind, I want to look forward with you then. What, what are some of the things that you plan to tackle here in the future? Yeah. Well, wildlife is always a priority for me, no doubt. But, I look forward to those stories. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to spoil it too much, but what I can say is that we're going to be looking into the ways that the state is decarbonizing the economy and the grid. Um, you know, just this summer, there were days where it was either too hot or too polluted outside to be safe outside while you're outside, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so the ways that we can mitigate or adapt to increasingly extreme weather, that's going to be top of mind for me. Uh, you know, I'm so excited for what we have planned to share with you guys. It's, it's going to be good. Well, in a minute, uh, we are going to meet the new CEO of the Center for Neighborhood Technology, Nina Idamudia. Uh, people can read your story on her appointment. It's up at WBEZ.org, Juan Pablo. I'm curious, before I let you go, why did you want to put the spotlight on that organization, Yeah, on I, that transition in leadership? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the extreme weather this past summer really gave us an idea of how all hands on deck our current predicament is. And so I was really interested to talk to Nina Inamudia, who now leads this nonprofit that's figuring out how to respond to climate change in real time in a really local kind of way. And I'm sure she can tell us more about that. Well, that's WBEZ climate and environment reporter Juan Pablo Ramirez Franco. Thank you so much for stopping by and good luck. Thanks for having me. So with us now is the focus of Juan Pablo's piece on new leadership at Chicago Center for Neighborhood Technology. Nina Idamudia is the new CEO of the Urban Resilience Nonprofit. Welcome, Nina. Good Hi, to see you. Thanks for having me. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. New role. How are you feeling? I feel great. Yeah. I feel like overwhelmed with joy. I'm anxious. I'm excited. There's all the feelings. All the feels, right? <laughs> well, before we dive in, I, I want you to tell us a bit first about the Center for Neighborhood Technology because not everyone's heard of it. So I want right. to know the kind of work that you do and, and probably more importantly, who you work with. Yeah. So uh, the Center for Neighborhood Technology is an organization that has been around for 45 years. Uh, it was an organization that was founded to kind of help with urban resiliency and thinking about how people need to be able to thrive in place and how climate change and transit and land development and urban development all affect how people can thrive in place, how long they can live, uh, what resources they have uh, available to them, all those things. And so uh, I always say we're like a think and do tank. So we like to research and think about solutions theoretically, but we also know how to implement them in real time mm. with real people, with real community members. So what does extreme weather mitigation in Chicago look like then? Mm -hmm. and, and what does it mean to use nature-based projects? Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, as Juan Pablo talked about earlier this summer, I think it was top of mind for everybody, but this is historic. In 1995, there was an extreme heat wave that really hit black and brown communities that left a lot of people uh, without the resources to be able to withstand that extreme weather. And this is something that, again, happened in 1995, and we're seeing it again today. Um, it just looks slightly different. And so when we think about how do we prepare for that, how do we make sure that people's houses are retrofitted with the newest technology 
in order to keep their houses warm or cold? Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that, uh, you know, green roofs exist so that, you know, places, urban places are not flooding, yeah. people's basements are flooding. And again, these are problems that community members, black and brown community members have been work, have been dealing with for decades, but we're actually calling to task our political leaders in order to, to not be reactive, but to be proactive in helping these people. Oh, I mean, you mentioned flooding there. I mean, what role did your center play mm-hmm. when we saw that massive flooding yeah. earlier this summer? Yeah, so because uh, CNT has been doing this work for a while, we were primed and ready to, to one, be there for community members. We've been pre- preemptively educating people all throughout Cook County about how to deal with flooding in their areas. We have this urban um, uh, flooding baseline map in which community members can actually submit their pictures of flooding in the areas. We match that with data and then that way we can go to political leaders and say, look at this trend that we're seeing. How are we going to, again, when this happens, again, because we know it will, how are we going to proactively get those resources to those people so that they're, so that the damage can be less and less over time? Um, we have this Rain Ready program. Again, we're working with Cook County to proactively educate people on the resources that are out there for them, whether that be flood insurance or different ways that they can mitigate flooding before it happens, all sorts of resources. Mm. Well, tell us more about you, your background. What, what were you doing before this appointment? Before this appointment, I worked for the city of Chicago as the Chicago Recovery Plan Director, okay. overseeing our American Rescue Plan Fund, so about a quarter billion dollars of reinvestment. Uh, really really uh, proud of that project. It was 11 different programs trying to help revitalize Chicago's um, economic development, and we saw some really great successes in that program. Prior to me coming to Chicago, I actually worked for the city of Los Angeles um, in okay. the planning department, and I worked on all sorts of programs, wrote ordinances for millions of people, um, and yeah, it was a is really great path for me to be an urban planner. It's kind of untraditional. I'm from Detroit. I'm from the east side. I'm just a De- Detroit I knew I heard girl. That accent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you said the word Detroit, because people from Detroit say Detroit we say, very differently. We say it a little. Eh, we it's get, you Detroit. Know, we put a little spice on it. Um, yeah. Grew up on the east side. Went to Michigan for undergrad. Uh, studied African American studies and women's studies. My mama said I got a degree in myself. Um, <laughs> but I, I wanted to do that because I think understanding people and movements and history is so important. And by the time I decided to go to the University of Southern California for my planning degree, I felt as though I was able to really step into who I am and bring my blackness, my queerness, my womanness to the profession. And it actually made me a better planning professional, Mm. um, especially when uh, for so many uh, for, for so many years, planning has been seen as a tool of white supremacy, right? It's been a, it's been a tool for suppression, and people like me that look like me that come from backgrounds like me have not been included in the profession. And I'm here to change that and to change how mm-hmm. planning can undo the harm it has done for yeah. many years. Well, tell us more about your goals then. For you know, if we're thinking back of the journey, Detroit mm-hmm. to LA to the city of Chicago, now to the Center for Neighborhood Technology. What what's, what is your hope for this organization? Yeah. My hope for this organization is to uplift and expand the work it's already doing. Again, CNT has been around for 45 years. We brought um, car sharing to Chicago in the late 90s with IGO. We brought green, uh, green uh, dry cleaners to Chicago in the 90s and early 2000s. Like this is an organization that has a lot of history and has a lot of foresight. Um, Obama used to be on our board uh, back in the day. Nice. <laughs> so we have deep roots in Chicago, and I just want to be able to uplift that I, I truly believe that if young Nina had a CNT in her life, she would have had more opportunities. And so, um, being able to marry my passion and purpose with CNT's values, I think, is a beautiful marriage. And we're and the sky's the limit from yeah. here. Well, are you expecting any challenges ahead as you start your work with CNT? 
Absolutely. I think there's always challenges when you go, especially because I was a um, career uh, you know, public servant. I was I was uh, working in government for ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's always now a on little, the nonprofit side, and now I'm on the nonprofit side. I can advocate in ways that I haven't been able to. The the gloves are off <laughs> in a lot of ways, <laughs> and the and the the transformational leadership style that I had in City Hall is no different outside of City Hall. But I think I could do more with it. Um, I think there is a resistance for government to be held accountable. There's a, there's kind of this thing, and I always used to tell my team when I worked at the city, we can. F- we have room to fail because failure means that we know what to do next. Like we know how to pivot. Um, and I think for CNT, we have such a talented team of professionals. We think about data. We think about how data actually marries with the human experience and being able to say, okay, what is the impact of this program over time? Is this worth our time? Are we actually feeling the results that we said that we were going to get? And I want to be able to bring philanthropy and government into those conversations. Um, when we think about 2020, millions of dollars went to the communities that said, oh yeah, we're going to make a pledge for black and brown communities to instill change. I want to know what happened to that money. Right. And when I was running the Chicago recovery plan, a quarter billion dollar program embedded in that in order to operationalize equity to to give those resources um, to distribute those resources more equitably. I made sure that at the center of it was data informed metrics. Like, Mm -hmm. how are we going to how are we going to do what we say we're going to do? How are we going to hold ourselves accountable to saying what we're going to do? And then if we fail, how are we going to pivot so that we can hold ourselves accountable to the community? So a lot of aspirations there for the organization. I'm curious, what is on the docket then for what you want to start working on immediately mm-hmm. now that you're CEO? Immediately, I would love to, again, elevate our work in climate because I do think that that is a very much um, important in this time. Um, it has a lot of attention because people are understanding the real, real world consequences of not dealing with this problem. And I also want to think about more data informed metrics and impact reporting for these government agencies and for philanthropy to really understand how we're actually using our dollars, our public investment for Mm -hmm. the greater good. And we have a very talented uh, data team at CNT. And I want to be able to kind of work with organizations on how to really get you know, get going on on them being more transparent and being held accountable for the resources that they're distributing. We've been talking with Nina Idamudia, who's CEO of Chicago's Center for Neighborhood Technology. Thank you so much, Nina. Thank you.